scripture lessons this morning come from the Old and New Testaments, the first from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verses two through seven. Hear the word of God. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land, <clears throat> a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter. In the 15th year, the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituria, and Trachonidas and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be lifted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh and the one born in Bethlehem. For we pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> The story is told of a little girl whose family was having trouble getting everything done at Christmas time. Does that sound like a family you might know? One day she walked into the kitchen and saw her mother frantically trying to get the Christmas cards done and she wanted to ask her a question. It took her three tries, but she finally got her mother's attention, and then her mother made a mistake on the envelope while she was trying to listen to her little girl, which then, of course, led to a little scolding from her mother. Later, she went out with her dad to go Christmas shopping, and she noticed her father's great impatience, having to wait in line that was stretching around the store. So frustrated was he that he was pretty short with her when they returned to the car, and she asked him a question. The next day came that wonderful ritual of trying to set up the Christmas tree. She noticed a little bit of conflict between mother and father and brother, and each had their own idea as to how best the Christmas tree should stand and which ornament should go where. 
Finally, when evening came, she asked her father if he could read her a bedtime story, and Dad rather abruptly told her there was no time for stories and that she should put the book away and say her prayers. The little girl obeyed and bowed her head and began to pray and prayed this, Dear God, forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. There is a little irony, or maybe a lot of irony, to how we handle the days that lead up to Christmas. We call these days Advent, and Advent, of course, means coming, that something or someone is coming, and that's all we need to hear, that someone is coming to get our blood pressure spiking and our ulcer acting up. So-and-so calls, and they happen to be in the neighborhood, and wondered if they could just stop by to say hello. And the next five minutes brings a mad dash around the house, stuffing this and stuffing that into whatever room behind which we can close the door. Like the story of the couple who had invited some neighborhood families over for dinner, and throughout the day they had been scurrying about getting the house ready and the meal ready for their guests, and at 7 o'clock the doorbell rang not more than 15 seconds after the vacuum cleaner had been put away, and as the guests assembled they had some appetizers together, and then finally they all sat down for dinner, breathing a sigh of relief that all the food had made it to the table. The mother looked over to her six-year-old daughter and asked if she would like to say the blessing. Oh. I don't know what to say, the little girl responded. Oh, Susie, you know what to say. The little girl looked sheepishly into her lap. Just just say what you hear mommy say. And with that, little, the little girl bowed her head and said, Dear Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? <laughs> good question. And it's a good question why and how we turn this season of Advent, this season of coming, this season of expectation into a season of stress and madness. My good friend relayed to me a recent survey that asked the question, if you could skip entirely the seasons of Thanksgiving and Christmas, would you? And 58% said yes. There's some madness in that. There's some madness in what we are doing. Strangely, though, we keep on doing it. It's always a little different from year to year. Real tree to fake tree, maybe Brother Bob host instead of Sister Sue, apple pie instead of pecan pie. Someone that you wished were here is not here. It changes little by little, but often the madness remains. We'd like it to be different, but we can't seem to bring ourselves to make it so, risking the possibility that we may be illustrating the old adage that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Speaking of different results, when the Bible tells us the story of Christmas, the Gospels are sure to usher onto the stage, even before the curtain rises, this strange, unusual, eccentric, shall we say, madman named John the Baptist. The picture on your bulletin is to suggest that John is not the guy who necessarily makes it to the top of our holiday party invitation lists. 
Before Luke, the gospel writer, pens the name of Jesus or begins to tell the story of Jesus' birth, he first tells us the story of John's birth, John the Baptist, the man who wanders in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke says that before we rush to Bethlehem and all the chaos of our rushing, Luke says, remember, John comes before Jesus. To get to Jesus, you got to go through John. John is the one who announces the arrival. John is the house sergeant of arms who steps into the chaos and clamor of the Capitol and shouts, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Mr. Speaker, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mr. Speaker, the Messiah of God come to deliver us from ourselves. John is the one who walks up and down the streets of Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Jericho, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The wild and woolly John called to call us to our senses, called to call us from our madness, called to call us to a life where there is room for the Messiah of God. A life where there is room. Can we think about that for a moment? A life where there is room. Does the madness of our lives or the madness of our advent come from our inability to make room, to make room for the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Have we hoarded our lives to such an extent with routines and traditions and expectations and stuff and Amazon boxes and apple pies and diamond necklaces and one too many drinks that when Christmas Christmas comes, there isn't any room? Is this why John the Baptist does not make it into any Christmas movies or Christmas cards? We don't want a party pooper who wants a Debbie Downer, who wants a mid-course correction, who wants sanity when we can have insanity. Which, of course, is the irony of it all. This great season of Advent, we hear the invitation of the angels to come to Bethlehem and find the babe wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. We hear the angels sing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And it gets us singing and gets us rapping and gets us decorating and gets us putting on our Christmas sweaters, but we don't get to thinking about whether or not the arriving guest wants to stay. Do you know what I mean? It's one thing to have Jesus for dinner. It's another thing to have him stay. The madman John is here to say, here's the good news. The little baby soon to be born is looking for a home. There's good news, but this isn't just a drive-by viewing. This isn't a, oh, isn't he sweet kind of invitation. The call we're getting from John the Baptist is that not only is Jesus in the neighborhood, he wants a place to stay that the Prince of Peace 
really does bring peace. But peace, as we all know, comes from a change of plans. Peace comes from an indwelling. Peace comes from doing different things and then expecting different results. It makes me think about the start of Charles Sheldon's 1896 classic novel, In His Steps, that tells the fictional story of a respectable mainline church in the middle of a Midwestern town and how one day the pastor receives a visit from an unemployed, down-on-his-luck, sickly man who wonders if the pastor could help. Busy writing his sermon for the Sunday, the pastor cannot be bothered and sends the man on his way. Sunday rolls around, and now in the middle of that sermon, the man appears again, walks down the middle aisle to the great anxiety of not only the preacher, but all the respectable worshipers. His name is Jack Manning, but he's really John the Baptist. Paralysis fills the sanctuary. What must we do with this man? He starts a monologue in the midst of the service and wonders out loud, what good is this church to a man like himself who needs help? A man who is not tidy or successful or even well. The man collapses in front of the sanctuary, in front of the worshipers, and now they are confounded and confronted with the question, what must we do? What must we do for this stranger? What must we do for this man who wishes to stay? Do we have room? And it's John the Baptist lying there on the sanctuary floor that prompts the people to ask the proverbial question, what would Jesus do? Did you know that that question goes back to 1896? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do, a question that originates from the room in the house where the baby resides? So sure enough, the members of the congregation ask the question, and all of a sudden, the businessman practices business differently, the artist practices her art differently, the banker banks differently, the pastor pastors differently, poor people are fed, unemployed people get help finding work, drinkers find reason to stop drinking, wayward souls find their savior, all because room was made for the one born in Bethlehem. Is there room in the inn? A question that originates from that little detail that Luke drops into the story that the mother and father and newborn are left to dwell in the place where the cattle eat and sleep. The irony has not been lost on us, or maybe it has. We who are busy filling up all our other rooms with all the stuff of life, raising our blood pressures, driving each other crazy, Prepare the way of the Lord, cries the crazy man in the wilderness. Repent, clean house, clear out the closets. Delivery is imminent, Mr. Speaker. The Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sin of the world, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And all of a sudden we realize that the crazy man may not be so crazy. Like the oft-told tale 
of the little church Christmas pageant cast with elementary Sunday school children and little eight-year-old Joseph and seven-year-old Mary with a pillow under her gown show up at that inn and knock on the door and the seven-year-old innkeeper answers and Joseph asks for a room for his pregnant partner. No room in the inn, says the innkeeper with great fervor. And the forlorn couple turn and make their way to the barn out back, at which point the young innkeeper shouts, don't go, you can stay at my place tonight. <laughs> Not so crazy. It makes me think of the story of the young Naval Academy graduate who after completing his first overseas cruise was given the opportunity to prove himself to his superiors by ha being handed the responsibility to get one of the ships in fleet underway and out of port. The young officer studied all the manuals as to how to get a ship underway and out of port and then set himself to the task. His efficiency established a new record for the fleet in getting a ship underway and out of port. And then came an ensign with a message from the captain. My personal congratulations began the message from the captain. Upon completing your underway preparations, exercise according to the book and with amazing speed. In your haste, however, you have overlooked one of the fundamental rules. Make sure the captain is on board before you leave. <laughs> Prepare the way of the Lord, cries the Baptist. The captain is ready to board. The child is ready to be born. Sanity is ready to be restored. If only we are ready to make some room. <laughs>